Yo, 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 it's your girl and boy CT. I'm Cindy Barnes. And I'm Travis Barnes. And we are the founders of the Overcomers Podcast. The Overcomers Podcast is designed to help you overcome adversity and live your dreams. Every week, we will be sharing stories of people who found their strength in their struggle. The Overcomers Podcast is sponsored by Journey 333. And that's a lot of threes, so let me tell you what it is. It's fitness, coaching, and nutrition. It is a place where we help you to look better, live better, and feel better, and it is mind, body, spirit. Today, we're going to help you get your mind right with our special guest. Hello, Overcomer Nation. I am Cindy Barnes. And I'm Travis Barnes. And we're the founders of the Overcomers Podcast. The Overcomers Podcast, sponsored by Journey 333. That's a lot of threes. That's fitness, coaching, and nutrition, mind, body, spirit, where we help you to look better, live better, and feel better. Today, I'm super excited because... At all the journey locations, we use this awesome piece of equipment called a sandbag. And I got the sandbag master on here, the sandbag guru, okay? Let me tell you a little bit about Josh Henkin. He is on here today. He's the CEO of Ultimate Sandbag Training and creator of the Ultimate Sandbag and the Dynamic Variable Resistance Training System. Has been teaching continuing education programs for over 15 years in 13 different countries, consulted and created programs for all populations from the U.S. Marines to the Division One programs, the hospital wellness programs, to including you and me, right? And let me tell you, I'm so excited because Josh is going to be one of the presenters at Perform Better in Providence, Rhode Island. So if you're listening to the show and you're thinking about, you know, where can I go and learn more? Uh, he is regularly on the Perform Better tour. I know we're talking about Providence because that's the one that's going to be coming up shortly after this episode, but he's presenting at all the different ones and in many other places. So Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, thank you for, for making here. time. And thank you for doing what you've done for our clients over the years. We love oh, the sandbag. I love to hear that. That's awesome to hear. Yeah, we were using them just this week. We we're doing <laughs> the sandbag bear crawls and we we're doing the cleans and we we're doing all kinds of things in here. So, uh, well, Josh, you know, I, I think maybe just before we get into the sandbags and what you're going to be talking about it perform better, uh, maybe just, uh, you know, letting our audience get to know you a little bit. Um, I'd like to go even a little bit deeper than what inspired you to do the sandbag itself. But, uh, you know, what first got you involved in this industry? Uh, I think, you know, learning very early on that uh, my NBA career was not going to occur uh, in high school, just quickly finding out the lack of athleticism was not going to allow me to become a professional athlete. And then I was very fortunate enough in high school, though, to have a coach who was an assistant strength coach, the Chicago White Sox at the time, uh, baseball team. So he introduced me to this whole idea of strength and conditioning. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you can have a career training athletes. How cool is that? Um, so he started, you know, giving me information. And it was the infancy of functional training at the time. Uh, so, you know, it was the first books about, you know, people like Vern Gambetta and uh, lots of other people. And uh, it gave me early exposure, just fed my hunger to want to learn more and to do more in the industry and to get into something that I thought was really exciting. Wow. It's really cool to hear how a coach was a difference maker in your life, you know, inspiring you to get on the right path. Um, you know, Josh, I remember uh, not too long ago, actually even witnessing um, it was a was it a neck injury that you had. Um, I, I know that you've overcome a lot, you know, so I guess my question is going to be uh, how has adversity shaped your life and maybe even inspired much of what you do today? I think in lots of ways, I do have a, a degenerative spinal disease. It was diagnosed when I was 14 years old. Um, and so they just didn't know how the extent that was going to be. So it, it's accelerated in the point to in the last 10 years, I've had seven spinal surgeries. Um, my cervical spines fused from C3 to T2. I have a lumbar fusions from L4 to S1. Um, during that time, you know, it compromised my spine quite a bit. So I lost the ability to use my leg twice, uh, inability to use my right arms. Um, so I've had to reteach myself how to walk twice. <laughs> I still only have about 50% use of my arms. Uh, so it's, I would say adversity has shaped my, my life in every way because it's impacted every aspect of my life. Um, you know, from just being able to do everyday functional activities to, you know, can you sleep into your mood to just dealing with everyday, you know, stressors or, you know, uh, things that you need to address in your life. It just all changes when you have chronic pain and chronic illness. Oh, wow. Yeah. She said you have overcome a lot and, and that's wow. a lot to deal with. Uh, you know, it makes me want to ask, um, how has the sandbag played a role in your recovery? You know, has that been a, a tool that you've used to, to do certain things? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny every time, you know, I, I share, I, I'm somewhat hesitant at times to share 
what's what's going on with me because I think in the fitness industry, we can wrap our heads around cancer, right? Or other diseases. But when it comes to diseases that impact our orthopedic condition, people instantly go to, well, you did something to cause mm-hmm. that. You What do you do? And so I think at, that people sort of often misconstrue. They, they think it's like, oh, the, the training caused this versus the reality, which is I'd literally be in a wheelchair if I didn't do what I do. Uh, Doctors are often surprised I'm able to be as functional as I am considering the circumstances. So the, you know, in every instance, I basically rehab myself, uh, not, not because I don't think there's any good therapists out there. I'm married to a very good one. Um, So I get to cheat that a little bit, but (laughs) even she's just like, you know, you understand the body, you understand what you need to do. Uh, so it's been very integral from the standpoint of, you know, a lot of people don't understand when you get to the extreme level, I was at like, you're unable to walk. Like I literally had to physically pick up my right leg. Um, you need to think at the most foundational level, how are you going to teach your body to start moving again? And so for me, it was using the tool as a feedback mechanism as it was a way to assist me to understand, to teach my body to reteach it. How is it going to function again? Because when you have nerve damage, especially nerves regenerate incredibly slowly. I think it's like a millimeter every six months, maybe something like that. It's a very, and, and, and no doctor will ever tell you that you'll get full restoration of the, the nerves either. So it's like, when things don't function correctly, when you're in, in this position, how are you going to teach your body how to function correctly or function at a level that allows you to enjoy life, the things that are meaningful to you? So for me, it's the what we do with our ultimate sandbag. It's not the only tool that we use. It's something that we use, obviously, a great deal. Uh, allowed me to rehab to a point where I can... To me, a great compliment is when people go, you don't look like you have an illness. And there's a, there's sort of a, it's not really a joke, but a saying in, in chronic illness that, you know, it's the invisible illness that's the toughest for people to appreciate because they can't see it. Um, so to them, you're not ill, you're not sick, especially if they see you doing things. But my condition, as I explained to people, will never get better. It will just be managed if anything's going to continue to get worse. So to me, it's also putting off the progressiveness of the disease to the point where I can have a higher quality of life for a longer period of time. Yeah. You know, and I think what you're saying is so true. You know, I worry about the same things myself um, when I have an injury or something going on. Um, I've recently committed myself to a very intense uh, race. It's uh, one of the world's toughest. It's a death race. The founder Spartan invited me. And so I just said, yes. And, uh, you know, you're, well, you're easy convinced of silly things, huh? Yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah, right. But like, you know, I, prior to that, I really wasn't running a lot. And I didn't do that because of sacroiliac bulging discs in my lower back. And I know that it's easy for people to think, oh, you know, well, what did he do to cause that? But the truth is, you know, I, I got a running coach I've been running with and and he's a little guy and his body's just built for it. And he'll run six miles with me and then he'll go do six miles a night. And I mean, his body, uh, you know, the world or whatever, the universe blessed him with that genetic makeup. And it, and it blessed me with kind of a husky makeup to where when I run too far, my hips sore, my knees sore, you know, like, it's just, you know, so, you know, we all have these different things to deal with. And, and uh, I'm glad that the sandbag has been integral in your recovery, uh, or at least in, in keeping your uh, ability to manage this illness. Um, I, the, the story that everybody wants to hear is, you know, the sandbag, right? You know, like, <laughs> so like let, let's talk about that. Like, how did it come to be? You know, I, I remember you and I being a mastermind, a mastermind together uh, back with the Cosgroves, uh, kind of when things were we're just beginning or, or, you know, really just getting started. Uh, so, you know, tell us a little bit about how it all came to be, if you would. Sure. Kind of the Cliff Notes version is that, you know, I have gone into in college into the strength conditioning program. So I was going towards that goal of strength conditioning. I was thinking, like, am I going to go to university setting? What was I going to do? So I interned a lot and you know, got to understand, you know, the ins and outs of training athletes. And during that time, I was also, you know, so interested in the industry, I started looking outside, like what were current professionals doing uh, outside of the university setting? And there was a lot of interesting people that were just coming up. This is the late nineties. So people like Charles Polkwin were writing for me. It was the first time strength condition because we're writing for mainstream magazines, right? Up to that point, it had just been like bodybuilding coaches. So, you know, I started interning with all these other coaches and just hearing these things. And I remember one coach told me hey, it was around 2002, um, go check out this kettlebell thing. 
And I you know, went online. I looked at him like, I don't know, that looks a lot like what you can do with dumbbells. I don't get it. Right. And he's like, just trust me, go, go to the program. You're going to learn a lot. And I remember going to the program this 2003 and Pavel coming out and saying, you know, the Kebo was just a vehicle to teach this idea of movement and movement was not a term I had used, I'd heard in all the time that I'd gone, you know, through my internships and my education at the university, we were taught lifts, we were taught muscles, we were taught, you know, things like that. So I'm like, what is this whole thing of movement? It was such a unique approach to train the body. And obviously the benefits were so rapid. And I'm like, you know, afterwards I want to like, I want to know more. I want to, you know, find out everything. He's like, you know, go read the old stuff, the stuff from the late 1800s, early 1900s. And why that period is because back then it was more physical culture. So the idea was, and this goes back to ancient Greece that, you know, physical health was part of the whole citizen of the whole person. Like you couldn't have true to, you know, intelligence and health and be a good citizen in your community if you didn't have physical health. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't mean, it didn't mean elite fitness, it just meant physical health. And so a lot of then there was a lot of balance up, upon, you know, like mobility, stability, just in different ways, like in gymnastics and wrestling. And, uh, you know, just as much as you find someone lifting weights, you'd see them doing a handstand. Yeah. Uh, so it was one of those things I'm like, oh, this is really intriguing, but the only problem was that, you know, because this is obviously pre-internet, they weren't able to communicate very readily a lot of these different, you know, people. So it wasn't like a unified philosophy or, you know, and so I always chuckle when people are like, oh, the old time lifters, I'm like, which one? They're all doing different things. Uh, it wasn't like they had this unified system that they're all promoting. Uh, so I was trying to find commonalities within them. And of course, you know, also being a former athlete, when I read, you know, a lot of them mentioning, you know, odd objects being like, you know, both basically the way they described odd objects is what we would think of as stability training today. Mm-hmm. Like they were talking about building tendon and ligament muscle strength, you know, things that the barbell couldn't do, uh, you know, filling in the holes with something. And so when they would off then go into the sandbag was the hardest of them, that former athlete side of me came in and was like, I want to go do the hardest thing. And so I did the whole, you know, army duffel garbage bag thing. Cause I didn't have any idea that this is something I wanted to pursue. This one was like, Oh, this is going to be great to add in my training. I remember doing my first like 80 pound sandbag in my garage and getting my butt handed to me and considering I had a background of many years of lifting. I'm like, how does this 80 pound bag kick my butt? So like any good coach, I then started applying it to all my clients. Um, and you know, they loved the novelty of it, the intensity of it and how challenging it was, but very shortly within, I would say the first like, you know, four to six weeks, it became very apparent that if we didn't have a, a purpose or a goal with it, it was just novelty. And so when I started to sit back and look at what was, you know, I try to find as much information I could on sandbag training, because as the, I often say, the internet loves to remind me, I didn't invent sandbag training, never said I did, but, you know, I, so I wanted to find, and all I could find were a couple pages here, a couple pages there. And it was not like an encompassing system. It was just like, here's some exercises, here's some things you can do. And so I was, I ended up sitting back and go, well, the problem has to be either the tool the way we use the tool or both. And so what I came up with was really, it was both that and no other example, as you guys can probably look around your gym and go, do we have a homemade piece of, to- uh, of equipment that we really emphasize in our training? Mm-hmm. Everything is made specifically to, for the job of lifting. So why is this tool, why has this tool not been designed to address a lot of the limitations and things that we need to do in order to make it a tool that we would value in the, in the, uh, fitness setting. And secondly, how is this tool supposed to be used? Because it's not a barbell, it's not a dumbbell. And while that sounds you know obvious, there are certain attributes that lend itself to being very unique. So oftentimes people say, well, you know, on social media, I'll post something, my wife posts something, can I use something else instead? And we go, you can, it just won't work as well. Because, you know, we tend to have this mentality in fitness that all our tools are the same. And I can't think of a more a larger myth than that, it would be like saying a saw and a hammer are the same just because they're tools. Right. I mean, I can try to use the saw for the job of a hammer, but it's going to be ugly. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and I, I mean, and, all, and fitness is the only industry I can think of where we devalue our tools. Like imagine if your surgeon said, oh, give me a clamp or scalpel, it doesn't matter. Like you'd be like, oh my God, you know, like, you'd be terrified. But in fitness, right. because we don't think about the unique aspects of each tool and what they do better than something else, we tend to just clump them all together as weights. 
And so we wanted to completely kind of redefine, you know, how we were thinking about that. Like, what are the unique attributes that the sandbag could provide that other tools couldn't? Because if it was just something different, it wouldn't be valuable. It had to do things that other tools couldn't provide us that in order to achieve certain outcomes and goals. So, I, you know, one of the reasons I, you know, joined that mastermind you mentioned was because I was frustrated. I had known Alan before that um, for quite a few years was we had to redefine it wasn't sandbag training because that wasn't descriptive. Because mm -hmm. that wasn't a methodology. We don't say I'm going to do barbell training because you can do bodybuilding, you can powerlifting, you can do Olympic lifting, right? That's not descriptive of the what the actual training is. And that's why we came up with dynamic variable resistance training because we want to define the system that's going to dictate how we actually use the implement. You can use our implement badly or you can use it with great intent and purpose. Uh, so the I always say the tool only gives you the potential to do good things. You have to have the knowledge of how to optimize the tool to actually achieve those great things. Right, right, right. So good. So good. Gosh, I just got I hope you guys are tuning in Overcomer Nation. There's a lot of good stuff going on here. You know, uh, to just kind of go back to the beginning of what you were saying. It's a shame that we lost that where to be a good citizen meant to be healthy, right to, to be able to, you know, have a, uh, a certain level of physical conditioning. I, I thought that was really good, you know, kind of taking us back. And then I like what you're saying so much about, you know, uh, you know, the tools that we use and, and they, you know, they are different and they, they have different abilities and different ways to get things done. Um, could you define for us like what, what it means live weight, like live weight? Like, I mean, clearly some weights aren't alive. So what, what, what does that mean? You know, like, well, if you, I'll give you the definition and the way we use it, and then I'll give you an example on the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, so when we say a live weight, people often, you know, and this is fine if this is what starts to get their general interest is that, Oh, and all, a sandbag is unstable. But to us, I'm like, well, what does that mean? It's unstable. Yes, the load can be shifting a little bit, but you know, if you're just moving the weight vertically, you guys probably know this. It doesn't shift a whole lot, mm -hmm. right? right? So the internal shifting is a very minor component. It can be what it does when you, so let's say, do a clean to fist and you do a press or something like that. Is that when you have the in, a slight instability to the to the implement, it increases the demand for movement accuracy. So in other words, you can't must just muscle through it, right? <laughs> right? right because right. if you're not accurate with your movement, the load is going to react in a way that allows you, doesn't allow you to complete the lift. Like mm -hmm. we've had some very impressively strong individuals that try to muscle through it and it just destroys them because they can't do it. They have to be accurate with their movement. So in a way, it's looking at movement proficiency as much as it is looking at strength. Uh, and so that's one attribute, but the other one is what's very unique with Elf and Sandbag is we use dimension as a component. So no other tool does do they deliberately use dimension to create different outcomes. So obviously with the bags, if there's, they can be small, they can be big, but that changes their instability level too. And what we can do with them in certain exercises we may emphasize. So for example, if I'm holding a small USB in the crooks of my arms and doing a squat, well, that's not giving me a lot of feedback and that will give me a lot of that core stability that I want to help me in my squat. On the other side, if I use our biggest bags, it pushes my arms forward. So it increases the amount of weight trying to pull me forward. So I have to use more core stability in order to perform that squat. So not only are my legs being very taxed, but so is my whole trunk because I have to fight that dimension when to pull me into forward momentum. So, you know, we use dimension, we use the, the actual instability of the implement, but then we can use also the idea that we can position it in different ways that allow us to, you know, challenge the body to be alive. For example, a squat is an up and down movement. So it's largely a sagittal plane, we call it sagittal plane movement, right? Well, if I just put the weight upon my shoulder, I now increase the demand for resist lateral movement and rotation. So I've just made a squat a multi-planar lift mm -hmm. in a very simple way. So I made it more practical because how many times do you go to squat and you're like, hold on, I gotta be perfectly balanced. Hold on, I'm gonna sit up. Everything's perfectly, you know, prepared. You know, if you just think about, you know, squatting down to pick up a kid or squatting down to pick up your groceries or something like, you're talking about things that tend not to be perfect. And then the last version is that we can just move in different directions and positions that really we don't get to train in, uh, you know, I would say familiar strength training uh, programs. And that's important because movement is like learning a language. There's something called movement vocabulary. Yeah. So, you know, if you're learning a new language, you know, you can, if you only learn a couple of words, you can only express yourself in a limited number of ways, right? But if you know a lot of words, you can express yourself a lot of different ways. And that's like movement. 
So while people like to say, oh, if you just get stronger at deadlift and squat and a bench press, you'll be good at everything else. That's scientifically not true. <laughs> like right, that's right. actually been proven over and over not to be true. Um, but it gives people the excuse in their mind to go, I'm just going to do what I'm comfortable with and I'm good yeah. at. Um, and so those are a lot of the ways. And if you look at the opposite end of the spectrum, like the barbell, people often be like, well, when am I going to use a barbell, Josh? I go, to me, it's not, we never have the goal being the implement. To me, that it's what is our goal, and then we go down the path of which implement is going to allow us to accomplish that the best way possible. So I would say you can use a barbell, but realize the barbell was created because dumbbells were first, and people and these equipment companies wanted a dumbbell you could put two hands on. Mm-hmm. That's a barbell. And initially, if you look at the barbell, the barbell initially was actually very small, and that has a lot to do with the expense of steel and iron at the time. But what you saw is over time, as the barbell got longer and the plate, they started loading it more, right? So when you make something heavier and heavier, that's very stable. What do people stop doing? They stop moving. Because now the the only way you can lift this thing is to be in a very stable environment. You tend to lift it up and down. That's why the modern barbell is a sagittal plane implement. It's made to be lifted up and down. That's how it's used. So when people try to take things and use them out of context is when they often run into problems and they just miss the fact there's other tools that can do that job better. Yeah. Overcomer Nation, you are getting an education today, right? You know, because we talked about, you know, I know we have fitness enthusiasts on here. We got members of our clubs on here. We got fit pros on here, fitness business owners. But for those of you when when Josh said multi-planar, right? You know, there's three planes of motion that we move in, but too often, you know, the equipment that we use is just really going to get us to move in a single plane of motion. So he was talking about being challenged from all three directions. He was also talking about something very important too, that it's not about the tool, but it's about like, what's the end goal with the tool? Cause you know, when am I ever going to lift a barbell? Right. But on the other hand, what I personally like about the sandbag is that it mimics more often what I want to do in real life. I'm going to be a grandfather soon. Oh my goodness. Oh, I, don't want to, I don't want to pick up a baby and that baby, unfortunately just won't stay balanced like a dumbbell will, or like a barbell will, you know, he's going to want to squirm around and do different things. You know, uh, what would you say to that about, um, you know, how a sandbag, you know, mimics that the, the weights that we want to handle in real life. I'm sure you have more to say about it than I do. <laughs> yeah. If you can't tell, I'm never short in words. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I think that's a good way to help, the, you know, most people just like gain interest in the implement. But what I would say is, you know, where people get, get caught up and, and misdirected with functional training is they think they have to replicate what they're doing in daily life. Mm-hmm. That's what a lot of people think is functional training. That's not what functional training is. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be like saying an athlete has to replicate their sport in the gym, which they don't do. You build up the qualities. Yep. So for me, it's always like, hey, how, what, what qualities is this individual lacking to allow them to move more efficiently? I think uh, speed coach Lee Taft said it very well many years ago. He's like, what, why do athletes lift? It's to be more efficient, to develop speed and power and force more efficiently. And I think the same with our clients, right? If you can move more efficiently, you'll be able to demonstrate power, strength, all those things. You'll be able to have better endurance. Uh, you know, it doesn't take, anyone can imagine that if you're inefficient with your movement, you're going to fatigue faster, you can develop compensations and so forth. So for me, it's always looking at what inefficiencies does that person have in the primary movement patterns? And then can, and uh, the same, I usually fits into this, but like, how are we then going to teach them via using the implement almost as a secondary coach mm-hmm. to increase those qualities? So if I tell you, like, you know, we've all used these horrible terms, I think as coaches, like use your core, like that's meaningless to people. Right. But if I can have you do a specific action with a bag to understand how to brace your core, you feel that you're like, oh, that's what they wanted me to do. I understand now. So now if I take that in context and many different things, you understand what that feels like and what that quality is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's doing things like that or understanding that, hey, you know what? I need you to use your lats when you do a squat. Well, how do you use your lats? Where are they? Well, I'm going to have you hug this and try to rip it apart. Mm-hmm. Oh, Okay. I don't, you don't need to know your lats. You just felt them like by doing the action. So a lot of times what we'll do is the bags allow us so many layers of progressions Mm -hmm. because we're not beholden only to load. We can change the load position. We can change your body position. We can change the point of motion. So that means we can more incrementally progress people. So in the example of building up real life strength qualities, we can do that because we're not locked into, you have to do any specific lift. 
Mm-hmm. Right. A lot, of systems, a lot of systems, they try to fit people into their system. We try to fit the system to the people. Ah, uh, so okay. it's oh. like by having a system, we can figure out where you need to start, where you at and where are you going? But if you only have exercises, then everyone starts chasing things that may not be beneficial to them or even things that they need to improve upon. So understanding concepts and principles allows us to then address people very specifically with the tool, using the tool, like I said, as a secondary coach to help them to understand, because verbally I can explain things perfectly to you, but if you've never felt it before, how are you supposed to replicate it or create that movement? Mm-hmm. So, but now if you have something that gives you that feedback, understanding of what I want, now it makes a lot more sense and I can translate that to so many more things. You know, I like the idea of the sandbag being a secondary coach. Um, there's a term, uh, self-limiting exercise that's found in certain pieces of functional equipment where, uh, you know, you're not going to know if you're sitting on a machine necessarily, if you're doing it wrong or right. And of course the machine's going to do a lot of the work for you, hopefully keeping you on track. But, um, how would that apply to the sandbag, you know, self-limiting? Well, I mean, it comes in different forms. So, I mean, for example, if you don't have a proper hip hinge and you don't know how to produce power correctly, you're not going to be able to clean the weight upon the fist in the, in the correct manner. You're just, you'll start fumbling around, it'll fall off, it'll go in the wrong position, you'll overclean it, you'll start, people start to overcompensate and try to lean back. Uh, so, you know, there's lots of ways that can happen, but there's also subtle ways as a coach's have, I think one of the beauties is that with, with the sandbag is that the coach gets to actually coach. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, you know, going back to the example of having the weight upon the shoulder, it sounds simple enough, but most people don't have the pelvic stability control to not allow their hips to shift or to rotate. Now you may not know you're doing that as you're doing it, but as a coach, I can see very easily if you're doing that. So that could be a self like, Oh, you're not ready for that yet. Cause you can't control the position of your pelvis when you're doing that. So I may take you, back to another uh, variation of the squat to build up those qualities or use other exercises to build up those qualities so you can come back to it and do it well. Because to me, that's a sign like you were mentioning, like running. Well, if you can't do that in the squat, imagine what your pelvis is doing when you're running, which is far more complex. Right. Uh, right, right. Yeah. So, I mean, I can, I, I can run a mile, as you well know, badly or really well, but mm-hmm. I can still accomplish the goal. Right. Right. So yeah. it's the coach's responsibility to look at like, are you performing it well enough to earn the right to do that movement? Or do you need to take a couple steps back and we need to build stuff up to, to get there? Right. Yeah. Because that will ruin our efficiency otherwise, yeah. right. That we're trying to chase anyway. So for, for us, it's like, you know, the self-limiting thing can come in different forms. Um, it, it's also one of those things like, you know, if someone's, let's say doing a dead bug, and they're laying on their back and we have them pulling apart the handles because that's how we get people to understand how to use their core properly. But, you know, they're starting to fatigue and the fatigue is coming in. They're starting to let their wrist spin back or they're taking their fingers off. You know, there's neuro- neurological fatigue that happens. Then I need to stop them, right? I've just given, a, I just gotten a signal from how they're holding the weight that they're fatigued. Like I'll give them a chance to fix it. I'll give them a cue like, hey, hey, John, you know, make sure to grab that. But if it's obviously like they keep defaulting to that, they're fatigued. So then I need to understand we've just hit a limit mm-hmm. and now we need to stop and move on to something else. So the self-limiting is, I think, not only for the individual, but for the coach as well. Yeah. And I love how the sandbag can be such a great tool, a, a secondary coach to help you understand that, you know, uh, we've talked a lot about core today. And a lot of times people think <clears throat> core, they think crunches, they think plank. Uh, they don't understand that, like, you know, that we're creating a similar load, maybe with a uh, frontal squat and the sandbag, you know, to engage our core, right? You know, I mean, and also just how a coach can observe a client and, and see, okay, now I can tell. I couldn't tell maybe before when you're lifting that balanced weight, you know, where you really needed to address things. But now with this uh, dynamic variable resistance that we got going on, uh, it's easier to spot things. Yeah. No, I was just going to say that for we we have more of an older population, not um, necessarily athletes, but you know, people that want to work on balance, uh, maybe, you know, hip surgeries, knee surgeries, uh, different things like that. I mean, we have some younger, but a very older population here at our location. And the thing I find about the sandbags is it's not intimidating to them. Like they'll put it on their hips and work on hip bridges. They're not afraid to, to pick it up. It's not, you know, bulky or hurt them to lift on it. Uh, they're not as frightened if I say, you know, do a different, you know, 
exercise with dumbbell, kettlebell, something like that, they'll tend to grab smaller, where a sandbag, I, I see them going, they'll they'll pick up heavier, they're not afraid to put it on their body or to hug it tight and, and do exercises. So I like that it's, it feels kind of soft to them or whatever, you know, it's not not hurtful or bulky will hurt them. So our, our members really enjoy using them for so many different things because it's not intimidating to them. Uh, that's great, great to hear. Cause I mean, yeah, I mean, we find that a lot that, I mean, basically what you're describing is that people don't have a reference point, right? Yeah. They, they don't like, you know, they may, if they see a barbell, they may reference something maybe that about a high school experience or a friend right. of theirs said they were doing ex- exercise and they hurt, or they were doing exercise at some point they got hurt. Or just the idea of iron, and like you said, I'm, I had a friend um, that mentioned the same thing. That the soft side of it, like people think, like metal means like intense and like I can't right. do it and yeah. things like that. And you know, but we also get the other side of the spectrum too, where people don't respect it um, because it's it's not iron, or they don't, you know, they're like, oh, iron's the hard when you want to get strong. But I'm like, but you understand that like you guys mentioned the instability component, there's the part of the movement accuracy thing too. And you're talking about live weight was no two reps are the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the big reasons you mentioned machines that we don't use in machines is to, to avoid what's called pattern overload. So as everyone knows, if I get locked into a machine, the machine is dictating the path of the movement. Right. Mm-hmm. And that can develop overuse pattern syndromes and overuse of muscle muscles. And that's why we use free weights. But then if you take that to another level, the sandbag allows us to even get that more so that every time, because you don't want a huge, like the thing about instability is people think more is always better. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, the research tells us that that's the opposite. That if, if something is drastically unstable, our nervous system spends so much time trying to protect ourselves that we don't actually get to move. We don't, we're so scared about falling and like hurting ourselves that our nervous system sort of shuts down our body. So we only want like very slight levels of instability. So by having that slight shift, having that, you know, different dimension, no two reps are the same. So that means your body's also always working harder. That's why people get tired faster because they can't just groove it. Right. Like if you do a cowbell swing or a cowbell snatch, you can groove it and you become efficient. You know, it's like running, right. You want to get more efficient because then it's, you don't spend as much energy, but with, with the sandbags, it's always, every rep is so different that it's always just a lot of effort. So it goes into, again, just managing, like, that's why we start people with lower reps and stuff because they're just surprised how fatiguing it can be. And also that they're just using so many muscles in the process because of their having to balance that out. You know, this, this kind of, I love the fact that no two reps are the same. Uh, it kind of takes me back to something that you, we were talking about earlier. Like, you know, you can't design a routine that exactly mimics life, but you do want to use tools that prepare you for life. Right. And I mean, I, I think about how the majority of the, after what you said, the majority of the people that we train are women. Mm-hmm. The majority of the people that we train are old enough to be mothers. Uh, they're, they're primarily the shoppers in the home, not to be sexist. You know, I, I sometimes like to go and do the shopping and all that kind of thing, but primarily they're the ones picking up the bags of dog food out of the trunk and, you know, like, you know, yeah. trying to carry them in the house. And I mean, what tool is best to prepare you to pick up the kid or to pick up the dog food? You know, I, you ask me, I'm going to say it's a sandbag, you know, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Um, Josh, tell us a little bit about your session uh, that we have coming up. Uh, well, you're probably doing it in multiple perform betters uh after this podcast airs i believe the next one will be uh the providence rhode island perform better and it says most think functional training is a good idea but the the reality is they don't trust it they don't trust that it can provide the fitness and performance results that they want to achieve with their clients why do you think that there's this uh this line of thinking you know this uh you know thing that we have to break through here you know tell me a little bit about that it came from actually just experience working with coaches. And when I was teaching is that, you know, I remember one specific session I was going over, you know, uh, systemizing everything and programming and, and a young coach raised their hand and go, is this strength training or is this functional training? Mm-hmm. I'm like, they're supposed to be the same thing. And also just the, you know, very often on social media, I'll, I'll get feedback from people going, oh, this is great for movement, but if you want to build muscle, you need to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it, it was very clear to me that just, there is just a, misunderstanding of functional training completely. I see it in the way that people try to define it, the examples they use. So it makes it difficult to have a conversation about it if we don't even understand what it is. And so what I wanted to do is clarify what the intent and what the methodology of functional training was and therefore how it does sort of 
check off so many of our fitness goal boxes. If you want to increase stability mobility, does that. If you want to build muscle endurance, muscle and endurance does that. If you want, you know, it, it basically should be the way we all train. If you think about it, bodybuilding is the most unnatural thing we can do. Isolating muscles is the most unnatural thing we can be doing to our body. You know, it, it, this past year, I started getting into Tai Chi a lot uh, just to help manage with some of my issues. And there's a philosophy in Tai Chi that, you know, because it's connected to nature. And if you look at nature, there is nothing that's isolated in nature. In fact, if you change any one variable in nature, you know, an animal, introducing animal, a plant, whatever me, it can change the whole ecosystem, right? So mm -hmm. why do we think the body is this isolated bunch of parts? Right. right. It makes no sense. You know, the worst thing we could ever say is the body is a machine. It's not a machine at all. It's a highly interactive, complex, you know, organism. In fact, you know, they just, there's published research that says, you know, you guys know what the number one risk factor for obesity is? What's that? Childhood trauma. Really? Childhood trauma. How about yeah. that? That's the wow. number one predictor of obesity. And that shows you that when people talk about mind-body, like I think about the old, people think, oh, I'm going to go mind-body. I just saw someone talk about this today. So I, I think about this muscle. That's not what mind-body is, as you guys probably know. Mind-body refers to our mind impacts our body and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So yeah. our thoughts can impact, you know, if, if, you, if you're stressed out, your perception of pain goes up. If you're, you know, stressed out, you can develop certain diseases, right? We see that play out. And so for, for, I just want to give clarity to people, like what is functional training? What does it look like as a methodology? And then how does it accomplish all our goals and how do we program it correctly so that we can achieve those outcomes that we want to achieve with our clients? Yeah, I could go down a whole nother path with you on that mind body. I was listening to something the other day that really resonated with me and it said more important than the food that we eat is what we think about it too. Just as how powerful that is. <laughs> um, now that is not an excuse to go eat ice cream and think good about it. But, but let me, uh, but uh, you know, back to that. I, I would like you to speak to that science because the other third of our population, or twenty five percent to a third of our population, is the men, and, and you know they they sometimes have muscle gain goals. And so, what would you say? Uh, let's say I have a a younger guy or any guy in here that says, you know, I want to gain muscle, so I'm not sure if I should use that sandbag. You know, what what would you say to them? Well, my first, I mean, I always like to be that person because my background is also in education. I ask a question, I answer a question with a question. Why? <laughs> why can't it? Right. Uh, and it tends to be they don't really have a reason why they don't know other than it's just unfamiliar to them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we all we all do. We put things that are unfamiliar to us. We try to put in context with things that we're familiar with. Mm -hmm. And that and they're overwhelmingly, especially in this age of social media, they're seeing so many people doing one thing. Why aren't they doing this other thing if it's good? And we all know that's like, you know obviously not the case that what you're seeing on, I think uh, I had to serve a doctor say, just because it's popular doesn't mean it's good. Right. <laughs> you know? right, right, yeah. um, so it, it's one of those things like, then I get into the actual education part, right? So why can't it build muscle? I need you to tell me where you're coming from with that response, right? Mm -hmm. Well, because it, it doesn't hit my biceps. Well, in what exercise, like, what are you doing? Because if you look even in a lot of squats, or, you know, other positions, we're using our arms a lot to support the weight. So whether or not we're doing a direct bicep curl, or we're doing a bent row, for example, where you're obviously using your arms, there's lots of not obvious ways that we're using our arms as well. And then I would say to them, like, have you ever looked at the body of a gymnast? Mm -hmm. I right. think most people wouldn't mind having, especially guys having the upper body of a gymnast mm -hmm. and they don't, they don't lift weights. Right. You know, have you looked at a lot of like, martial arts and you know look at bruce lee back in the day yeah. like not a heavy lifter has a pretty impressive physique can develop a lot of strength and power so it's just it's just the realization of just being compassionate to the person understanding they they're trying to figure things out in their head because you're introducing them something a different thought process and a way of approaching something and you know what our job is to i like to find out the reason i ask those questions i need to know where you're coming from first because mm -hmm. i want to talk with you not at you yeah right and so if I don't know what you're thinking and I don't know where you're coming from, then I can't talk you through the process. And there's going to be obviously a, a, a level of trust that has come with it because, again, so many people are influenced by what they see. And so if they see everybody doing X, they want to do X. I had a client that was a very successful CEO. And one day, you know, he stopped, you know, after we did our exercise, and he stopped and he's like, hey, Josh, how can we train this way? Don't train in his mind the normal way. The normal way was sitting there like, working chest and working arms. And I said, 
Brad, I said, uh, if I can make you a million dollars, would you want it in a year or a month? He's like, a month. I'm like, well, this is like making you a million dollars in a month. He's like, okay. Like, it just made sense to him. Like, this is more efficient, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and so it's also like, who are you looking at? I remember an 18-year-old that came to me. Is he had, was having problems with his back deadlifting. He was doing barbell dips. I said, oh, I'll help you. Comes in, and I'm watching, giving some tips. But then I go, so what program were you following when you're doing this? And he was mentioning this book, and it was like, oh, it's by a world champion powerlifter. I said, by who? And he said, a world champion powerlifter. We did this like three times because he wasn't getting my point, mm-hmm. that he was not a world champion powerlifter. Right, right, like right, he's right. an 18-year-old kid trying to do – it's like, I'm going to start playing basketball, and I'm going to try to play like LeBron James. Yeah, right, 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 right. You know, yeah. but that's, I, I understand the thought process. That I want to get good at this. So I'm going to learn from the, well, I'm going to do what the best people do. But we also know in development of athletes, I would never train a high school kid like a college kid, not like an actual one training a college kid like a pro. Mm-hmm. So, but, but we do that to ourselves all the time in the gym. We mm-hmm. go, oh, this is what I want to look like. This is what I want to do. I'm going to do what they do. Mm-hmm. But that's not what you need. Right. Right. And, and then we can get the whole discussion and sure it's off topic of like, is what you're seeing actually real? Meaning, are there other things that they're doing that you wouldn't want to do, i.e. Yeah. drugs or, you know, whatever it may be that are making you think this is what you want to do, but it's not actually what you want to do. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that I think you the way you started off too about the picture that we have in our mind, you know, if we saw Arnold Schwarzenegger most commonly curling a dumbbell, you know, we think that that's the secret to having a bigger bicep. Uh, and maybe not understanding the principles, you know, of the, of the rep ranges, you know, the muscle failure, the, you know, the things, you know, I think about the dive bomber pushup and I'm like, I don't know which one's tougher, the 300 pound bench press or the dive bomber pushup. And I tell you what, that my pectorals don't have eyes, but they know when they're failing and they know when they need to get stronger and, you know, everything else yeah. involved, you know, uh, and people will see the Schwarzenegger bicep curl, but they won't see the Franco Colombo doing an iron or a lever on the gymnastics rings of Venice beach in the sixties. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah just, <laughs> so it's know. like, which one created the body, right? Exactly. Probably exactly. both, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So how about uh, just one final thing on uh, injury resilience, injury resilience, you know, you're going to be teaching on that at uh, Providence perform better and other places. Um, how do you think that the, you know, cause people hear a lot about rehab, Maybe they don't think a lot about prehab or, or preventing those injuries that we need rehab for. How do you think that the sandbag helps with uh, injury resilience? I think it helps us teach us teach people qualities and develop qualities that they often ignore in the gym. So I'm going to try not to get too geeky here, but to be to develop injury resilience, you need to know what the mechanism of injuries are to certain structures of the body. So in other words, if you don't know what causes injury, then it's hard to train for it. And unfortunately, in the fitness industry, we we think everything is a strength issue. It's not. Mm-hmm. The literature is emphatic, it is not typically a strength issue. It usually comes down to a couple of things. It's a motor control issue, meaning when does the muscle fire within the chain at the right time? So it's a more of a coordination issue with the, within the chains. That's why movement patterns are very important because that's the way that your body learns to do that. Two is decelerate of strength. So a lot of people are so focused on force production, but it's actually force resilience that dictates. So if I can't, if you look at rotator cuff injuries in, in throwing athletes, it's generally because they can't decelerate their arm properly. Mm-hmm. It's not because the arm, the rotator cuff wasn't strong enough to produce force. It couldn't resist the force in throwing. So the same thing when you're talking about, like my wife worked, worked at a fall prevention clinic before, like you need to teach people, like, you know, when you take that step and you start to miss it, like, mm-hmm. how do you then decelerate and catch yourself? That's not something that we often teach, not, not to make people fall, but like, you know, an example would be, let's say a forward step deadlift. We're mm-hmm. teaching you to decelerate and step into a hip hinge and you catch yourself and then you have redistribute yourself back up. You have enough power to bring yourself back up. Right. You know, it's also in the reason the planes of motion are important because most people get injured because they can't resist forces that are acting upon their body that are coming from different angles, laterally, rotationally, and so forth. That's why having the ability to resist rotation or have frontal plantar lateral strength is important. You mentioned running. So many running injuries are correlated to lack of frontal plane stability and strength. Mm. So if, which makes sense, because if you're dipping your pelvis, every step you take, and you're running with force and power, guess what's going to happen to your knee, your low back, even your shoulders and upper extremities. Mm-hmm. So 
you need to understand what you're trying to even develop. So what the sandbag then allows us to do is to develop those qualities very specifically. We have the ability, like it would probably be very safe to do a four step deadlift with a barbell, right? But we can do that with the bags or, you know, I can do like one of our famous drills is a max lunge where I'm lunging back, but the bags rotating to my side. So as I lunge in the sagittal plane in a rather unstable environment, I have to not only have enough deceleration to drop myself in the lunge without falling, but also resist this force that's pulling me off to the side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and if you look at injuries in new moms and actually firemen, they're very similar. It's a lack of frontal plane stability and strength. Wow. Because wow. what do moms do? What do new moms do all the time? They hold their kids like this. Yes. Yeah. On their side. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And what do, what do firemen do all the time? Well, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Everything's over to the side. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Yeah. That's something that we need to think about. You know, is your training, is your training, the training that you're doing going to help you prevent injuries? You know, and these are the, these are the different variables that Josh just mentioned. You know, are you addressing things on a multi-planar level and that kind of thing? That, that is awesome. That's awesome. So, you know, there's lots of ways for people to dive in more. You know, if you're a coach, there's ways for you to learn like some of the techniques and skills that you were talking about today, like, you know, being able to spot things in your, your clients and, you know, then address them by, you know, including certain programming and that kind of stuff. Um, what are the ways that you have available for people to, to learn more and get more education uh, from you or from the sandbag? Uh, sure. I appreciate it. Yeah. And we have, we always try to lead with education. We often say people perceive us as a equipment company, but we're actually an education company with a piece of equipment. Um, and so, it, again, it's like the tool helps you understand these concepts, but it's important to understand the concepts and the techniques. Uh, so we have both live and online programs. Um, they both are awesome. Both have their benefits, right? In, in a live course, you get to work with a coach and get to work hands-on. The benefit to online is that, you know, we're not, we're not hampered by time, so we can sort of deliver a little bit more content. But we try to blend the two. If people are interested, we can explain the differences and what people received in both. But the education is so important. And then the the tool makes so much more sense because, you know, years ago, Alan said to me, he's like, you know what your problem is? I'm like, I have a laundry list, but go ahead. He's like, (laughs) you need to feel it to understand it. And that's one of the troubles with social media nowadays. If you're looking at what we do, but have no frame of reference, it's so hard to figure out what does that feel like? What's going on there? Because it's not something you've ever done before. That's why I think some people go, you know, don't believe it or they go kind of use something else. Because once you actually use the implement with the intent it was designed for, everything makes so much sense. Like every time we have a live event or someone goes through a course, they go, they have so many aha moments, right? The light bulbs go off, go, I get what you're saying now. That makes so much more sense now, just from a very simple, you know, concept of like pulling the handles apart to create core stability to, you know, different positions and and, play, and, and progressions that we use. Then people go, oh, I understand why you're doing it that way. Mm-hmm. So we have everything, you know, you can go online. My wife has some wonderful corrective exercise courses too. So we have certifications, we have courses and we have workout programs. So depending upon how you want to enter our program, there's always an option for anybody, but they're always mo- welcome to email us to the website to get more information on what's right for them. Yeah. Could you say that website for our audience? Uh, sure. Uh, it's dvrtfitness.com. Uh, so there's a contact page, but there's tons of free information on there. There's blogs, there's videos. So people get into it. They can, you can get into the weeds pretty fast. So if you're looking for specific information, we can help you filter that out as well. Okay. Awesome. And how do people uh, follow you to get more of you, get more uh, education? I don't know if anybody wants that. Um, <laughs> I mean, we, sure. have, we have our Facebook group, our DVRT fitness group, where we post a lot of content and videos. It's a safe arena where people can, you know, share their stuff and ask questions. Uh, on Instagram, we have our ultimate sandbag uh, account. I have Josh Hankin, DVRT. And uh, my wife has a long one, just, I think it's underscore Bento. I don't know if I follow her, physiotherapist. But if you follow us, you'll be able to follow her. Um, so that, that's where we try to share. Because we what we want to do with our, not only give people ideas, but to help them filter all the overwhelming amount of information, because we know not everything on the internet is good information. So we want to try to be a trusted resource that people can go to and they're going to get a genuine, you know, informative, you know, idea of what they're trying to accomplish and do. And they can ask questions and get a reliable answer. If I don't know the answer, I'll find the right people that do. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, a lot of times people get overwhelmed by information. So I guess I'm going to ask this question for those that might have it out there. I'm a fitness enthusiast or I'm a coach and I want to get more into sandbag training. 
what is my first step besides going to Providence, Rhode Island, perform better and watching you present? What's my first step? I think if you're just wanting to like take your time and go like, I just need to like tune out. I need to like filter out everything a little bit. We have, I did a book uh, with Dragon Roar several years ago. Um, even though it's several years old, it's still good. It's a good starting place. Like you start to understand our principles, our concepts, the techniques. There's some programs to give you examples. What I'm most proud of too with the book is there's a lot of what not to do. Mm -hmm. uh, because I think a lot of times like we don't know like what we should be doing either. Uh, so we really outweigh that outline that out. And I think that's a great resource for people. It's on our website. If you can't find it, just let us know. It, it's a nice book that just sort of gives a good starting point and jumping off point for people. And then everything else will start to make more sense if you get those really base concepts down. Could you say the name of that book one more time? I think it's a really clever name, like the DVRT Ultimate Sandbag Train book. But uh, I, I think there's a... <laughs> I think there's a version I'm looking up right now. I think there's a, still a Kindle version up on Amazon as well. Uh, I just will put out there that, you know, I'm not going to say we've been very fortunate. I've been able to work with a lot of coaches that have influenced me and in how we do like progress and evolve things. But I do have to warn people there's lots of bad information regarding sandbag training out there as well. So should just be consumer, be aware too when you start looking around at places like not all information is good information. Well, you know, it's clear that you've done your homework and, you know, uh, certainly I, I'm not shy about a book that's uh, several years old because I've learned great information today from things that are hundreds of years old yeah. or thousands of years old. So, uh, you know, <laughs> and you know I, as the author, you always like you always as soon as something's published, you're like thinking about 10 different things you wish you could have added or done differently. But I think it's a great starting place for a lot of people. So I think it's still a good place for people to start looking at and getting familiar. Yeah, and we know the place to start. And now we also know their source and the website to keep on adding that information as well. So uh, Josh, thanks so much. Any final words for our audience? I just want to thank you guys for giving me an opportunity to have a, a platform because I think, you know, it hopefully it comes across that, you know, I'm very passionate about these ideas and the more people we can expose them, the better quality life we can offer people. And I think that's what we all want to do as fitness professionals is help people live a healthier and happier life. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank yeah, you for being generous you. with your time. Uh, it was uh, educational for us and for educational sure. for our audience and, uh, and inspiring, you know, super excited to watch you present and perform better. So thank you for appreciate being it, guys. Yeah. Thank you thank so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening, Overcomer Nation. Make sure if you haven't already, give us a five-star rating. Make sure that you share this and subscribe so you can see all of our future content. That's right. And if you'd like to be a guest on a future show, go to overcomers-podcast.com. If you're interested in our franchise opportunities with Journey 333, then go to www.journeyfitness333.com. And finally, if you like what you heard today and you feel like you're somebody that needs a bit more coaching, go to travisbarnes.com.